Romans chapter 8, we've been learning for two chapters the position that we have in Christ as the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has delivered us from condemnation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we're talking about communion with the Holy Spirit. Something so vitally important for us as Christians to remember not to neglect communion with the Holy Spirit, for it is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that indwells us. We've talked before explaining what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 28 when he says, all authority has been given to me, that's the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded with, commanded you, and lo, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. But he also said in that same um, portion of scripture, well, actually before that, in the Gospel of John, that he, he is going to leave earth and be at the right hand of his Father. And we understand what he meant by that is that though there are three persons eternally existing in the Godhead, and they are distinctly different, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have identical natures. They are completely perfect in their righteousness, perfect in their holiness, and if they were to have three different natures, one would be subservient to the other. So because the Holy Spirit is with us, the nature of Jesus Christ is in us, and in that sense, Jesus has never left us. Though we know, technically speaking, he's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Over and over here in these two chapters, especially chapter 8, it constantly talks about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit making us able now not only to be born again, and that's our position in Christ, and that's why in verse 1 of chapter 8, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is our position in Christ. It's not saying that there is no condemnation for those who um, are walking in the Spirit. In fact, the latter part of verse 1 of chapter 8 isn't even in ancient manuscripts. And it can give the wrong idea when it goes on to say, for those who walk after the Spirit, not according to the flesh. That's not what it's saying. For those who are born again, their position is, in Christ is no condemnation. So that when they die, they will go to heaven and God the Father will see them, will see us who are born again without spot or blemish, completely in robes of righteousness. So when there is Christians who feel guilty and condemned, it is a non-reality in their life. It is a, it's an emotion. It's a feeling. Now there's conviction by the Holy Spirit, but there is no condemnation. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We get it all the time as pastors. People coming into the church, still feeling guilty or condemned over and over, whether it's present sin that they've committed or past sins that they've committed. A constant emotional feeling of condemnation. And the reason I'm emphasizing an emotion attached to this is because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is our position in Christ. And moving on, and, and, I, and I need to do a review for a moment, but now it's talking, yes, in chapter 7 and chapter 8 about the prevention of living and Obeying the flesh. It says, 
that uh, in verse 12, and we'll move on to, to verse 18 where we pick up, but verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do you remember when the nation of Israel told Moses, you go over in the presence of the Lord. You tell us what he says. We fear him. We don't want to be close to him. Moses, you just, you be close to God and we'll, we'll stay separated from him. We're afraid. And then this dispensation, at this time, Paul is proclaiming very good news. That when the Spirit of God comes in to us as believers, we don't have to think of God as many in the world do, including many of the church, and certainly the nation of Israel does, that he is a God that is constantly upset or frustrated with us. We think of authority often this way. Our boss, when we mess up, he's going to be angry. Constantly a separation that we have from authority and it can pour into our relationship with the Father, especially knowing that he is completely holy and completely righteous. But the reality is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit inside of us, with violent power, that's the ruach, is this word for spirit, and pneuma is the the holy, the, the pneuma ruach, this violent power comes in to us in the New Testament and operates in such a way that we talked about last week, which is distinctly different from the Old Testament. Not that it's a different spirit or that the spirit did not come in people or upon people, but we see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit so much in the Old Testament with displays of natural power, the raising of the dead, the Red Sea parting, the cloud by day and the fire by night leading the nation of Israel, the food falling from heaven, manna. All these natural, excuse me, supernatural phenomenon that happened where they would associate the Spirit of God in that terms of power. And and they're afraid. They're fearful. Moses, you go for us. We don't want to go. We're afraid of God. And here, this excellent news that the Spirit within us did not give us the spirit of fear when it comes to our intimacy with God, but the spirit of adoption where we cry out, Abba, Father, that Hebrew word uh, for dad, it's, it's much more intimate. It's probably translated dad or daddy. And so many of us are so messed up And even the predators of the world are just looking for girls or women who have daddy issues that can come in and try to take uh, advantage of vulnerable people. And this can, it should not, but it can distort our view of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul, through this pneuma ruach, this power is writing down Don't think for a moment, ladies and gentlemen, that the Apostle Paul is responsible primarily for writing the book of Romans. When these type of men like Paul and John and James and all these New Testament writers, Luke, when they sit down to put pen, ink to paper, that they begin to write of their own accord, that's impossible. Men are filled with their own biases, with their own prejudices, with their own pet projects. That's why Calvary Chapel, it's just so dangerous if I were to pick the sermon every Sunday. I would pick the sermons based on what I thought was going on in our church. 
Not enough giving. We're talking about money on Sunday. Tons of sexual immorality. Man, we got to talk about fornication. For the next 18 weeks, we're going to talk about all the fornicators. You know, they're going to hell. We, just, we, we could pick our projects, but as we go through the Bible, we are teaching what the Holy Spirit wants us to. And, and, and when these guys sat down to put ink to paper, the Numa Ruach, the power of the Holy Spirit came in there and violently drove out every single thought that they were going to have in writing down what they wanted to write. And they wrote down exactly word for word what the Holy Spirit wanted them to write. With this violent power, just driving out all that Paul would have written. And what the Holy Spirit is telling us now is we did not get born again and the Holy Spirit come in so that we could fear the Father, but so that we could be intimate with God. If there was a member of the Trinity that was most neglected, most mocked, most blasphemed, it would undoubtedly be the Holy Spirit. He gets blamed for all kinds of nonsense. It's like, yeah, the, the, the Spirit of God was leading me to come tell you that you're going to be my wife. It's like, really? And, and, and young, immature Christian girls will get freaked out. They're like, oh, no, please say it ain't so. Please, I don't want to marry him. God, did you say that? No, no, that guy's just manipulating you. Or it's like, the Spirit of God came upon me. And I fell back and started shaking on the floor. Really? Because the Spirit of God brings order and, 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 and mental stability for mental illness. He brings peace and joy and decency. He gets blamed for all kinds of stuff. Nobody falls on the ground at church like so many different churches, shakes like a chicken with their heads cut off, and gets up and says, Jesus Christ came upon me. The Father is upon me. They always blame the Holy Spirit. They do these things. And many of us have seen this. I once saw, which I think he was, it was supernatural. I just think it was demonic. This guy must have been 80 years old running on the back of pews in a church in America. But it wasn't just the seats. He was running on the top of the pews. It's like two inches away. I thought this guy was going to die, but he's just skipping along the church. I remember one preacher at this church in America, you know, the, he would oftentimes feel led by the Spirit, he'd say, to throw his Bible into the congregation. And, you know, it wasn't one of these small Bibles that I carry around so I can, you know, it's more travel uh, dependent. But he had one of those old King James Bibles that looked like it took 20 years to build. It was huge. And he took it and he threw it out into the congregation and it was coming right from my head. And I, I, I ducked and it hit the guy sleeping in the head behind me. And he blamed the Spirit for such nonsense. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit would never encourage a preacher to throw the Word of God away from his eyeballs. Never. And the Spirit of God has this ministry. Let me re repeat what I said last week. You know that it says we can insult the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 10, 29, that we can resist the Holy Spirit, Acts 7, 51, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30, which is actually speaking to Christians. In Hebrews 10, it's talking probably about non-Christians, though I still believe we can insult the Holy Spirit. And resisting the Holy Spirit in Acts 7, it's talking about those religious leaders when Stephen preached to them a message and he says, you are like your fathers, always resisting the Holy Spirit. But more so for us Christians, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says we can quench the Holy Spirit. 
We can, that word quench has something to do, that Greek word of, it's like blocking the flow. Like a hose, you would take water going through a hose and you would kink it so that that water can't come through anymore. That is what that Greek word for quench means. You're blocking the flow and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, certainly the Holy Spirit can break through whenever he wants, but often allows the free will of man to quench him and to block him. Let me repeat once again also this. Our Trinitarian worship should not be as much blended as it is separated and unique to each member. This uniqueness of our worship must be based in the knowledge of each member of the Godhead, knowledge specific to their ministries and self-given responsibilities. Second Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The Holy Spirit and, and, the, and the Father and the Son, they're all distinctly different throughout the New Testament. Once again, those nine things the Holy Spirit is doing. There's much more than nine, but we talked about nine. Bringing the promises of Christ into our remembrance. John 14, 26. Glorifying Him in our hearts. Glorifying Jesus Christ in our hearts. John 16, 14. Shedding abroad the love of God in our hearts. Romans. Witnessing with us that we belong to God as a spiritual state and condition. You guys ever doubt your salvation? The Holy Spirit reassures you that you belong to God. Sealing us to the day of redemption, being the earnest and final guarantee of our down payment and inheritance, anointing us with the comfort of God. So many people are quenching the Holy Spirit when they're not allowing the Holy Spirit through communion and prayer to comfort you in your trials will immediately run to a mom or dad and, and consult with them first, or a friend, or a brother, or a sister, or a colleague. The first person we always need to commune with when we're going through trials is the Holy Spirit who has the violent power to comfort us in our distress. He's confirming our adoption, and He's present with us in all of our prayers. The Bible says, continuing verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we might be glorified together. So we're not just positionally in Christ with no condemnation, with salvation, we also have an inheritance. And, 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 and our inheritance, we, we don't know entirely what it is, but we know some about what our inheritance is. One thing is a glorified body. As Jesus Christ has a glorified body, though it is a little different, his body was the same one that he had on earth. Ours cannot be because we're associated with sin. But nevertheless, we have an inheritance like Christ of a glorified body. That's good news because we get old and we get decrepit and we get tired and we get bad hips and bad joints and wrinkled faces. We get a new body. That's just one aspect. So he doesn't just save us. He gives us an inheritance, but not only any inheritance, the same inheritance that Christ gets from the Father is the inheritance that we get from the Father, and that is made known to us, communicated to us through a communion with the Holy Spirit. Have you guys ever thought, as you commune with the Holy Spirit that is inside you, oh, Holy Spirit, I worship you. Would you remind me of my inheritance? Would you comfort me in my distress? Do you think to speak to the Holy Spirit this way or to speak to the Holy Spirit at all? You know, we have every right to speak to any member of the Godhead for they are persons and they are distinctly different. 
He goes on to say, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Verse 24, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what does one still hope for when he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So there's a lot there, but this is incredible. You you just go to the top of what we just read and Paul is saying, for I consider that the present sufferings cannot be compared to the glory that we will receive in the next life. This is not a coincidence that the apostle Paul is saying this because he's suffering based on the direction that the Holy Spirit leads him each and every day. Do you guys understand that? The the Holy Spirit is leading him. Do you remember his friends are like, don't go back to Jerusalem. I'm telling you, and his friends get together. And it's interesting, the Holy Spirit, I think it's both and. I don't think we need to compare, was the Holy Spirit speaking to his friends or was the Holy Spirit speaking to Paul? They were both being spoken to by the Holy Spirit. And his friends are like, Paul, if you go there, chains await you. Torture awaits you. Persecution awaits you. And so we've received this prophecy from the Holy Spirit, so you have to obey. You can't go. That's your conclusion, basically, is what Paul is saying. Your conclusion is I shouldn't go because I'm being persecuted, because I could go to prison, because I could be beaten, because I could die. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit's already spoken to me. The chains await for me. Everywhere I go, he's been stoned. He's been beaten. I mean, when he got up and went back into the city after he was stoned, they thought he was dead. His friends were picking him up. He shakes it off. He's alive and he goes back in. And he basically tells them that he's not done preaching his sermon yet. The Spirit, you, this, is the, this is the context from chapter 7 and 8. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's dozens of times the Holy Spirit's mentioned. And Paul's like saying, the Holy Spirit's leading me into all kinds of physical peril and torment and torture. But I must follow. I must go because He is my God. He is my guide. He is my strength. He is my comforter. He is my reminder. He makes intercession for me. He is in communion with the Holy Spirit to a degree that I am striving for, or at least I want to abide in that communion like the Apostle Paul. And I know that the Holy Spirit will lead me into situations where people will hate me. Now, I believe this is an incredible word for all of time, but especially the times that I think we're heading to in the world. Because as the Holy Spirit has 
led and guided people, especially in America and in Kenya, there's been a level of freedom that is similar in both countries. That level of freedom has allowed us to be free enough to stand in our convictions for a long period of time, especially in America. Hasn't always been that way in America. Hasn't always been that way in Kenya. During the Revolutionary War, when we rebelled against Britain with a godly rebellion, the Holy Spirit led people like George Washington into battles that, that he, he, he got hurt in, into situations where they had very little f- food. I believe it was the Holy Spirit leading. Here in this country, when Moy was president, you, you could get in big trouble, couldn't you guys, when you spoke against the president? In fact, we even hear stories, I don't know if they're all true, I don't know, about Moy even killing pastors for speaking out against him. But there has been a level of freedom where we have had, being led by the Spirit, no physical persecution. There has been emotional, I guess you could say, which I even feel like a wimp saying it, but it, it is reality when people start hating you because there's an insatiable desire for us to be accepted with our peers. And when you stand for Christ, you could be standing alone, even in church. But I think this is incredibly pertinent to us now, pertinent because we are heading to a time where it is becoming more increasingly dangerous to stand for Christ as we are being led by the Holy Spirit in the different arenas of our lives. Let me give you an example, a personal example. When COVID hit, I felt a strong sense not to even close this church for one Sunday. And you guys remember, I don't know if you know this, but police officers came into our church when they were all over the news, no church next Sunday. They came in, we were having our staff meeting here in the sanctuary and trying to wrestle through all of this. They came in, you know, they're holding guns. They, they weren't pointing them at us. I don't want to dramatize it. But they told us not to have church, church next Sunday when they had AK-47s in their hands. It's like, yeah, we heard. Yeah, we watched the news. Get out of our church. I, I, I was annoyed by them coming in. I don't know how many weeks. I think it was a couple months we didn't have church. I'm going to tell you right now, I believe very strongly the Holy Spirit was telling me not to close the church, not even for one service. And I did. Lord willing, the next time they tell us to close the church, which will come in our lifetimes, I will obey the Holy Spirit next time. Now listen, I'm not... I'm not trying to say the Holy Spirit spoke to me the same way he spoke to every pastor in the world. But I was given in to the pressures of the world, not to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I want to talk about the end of what's this saying, and then we'll talk about the middle. But it, it talks about, Paul's like, listen, my hope is in the next life. These temporal earthly sufferings cannot be compared to what is in store for us in the future. This is really Paul saying we need to have an eternal perspective. So we, if we're lucky, if we're blessed, I might say, get to live 80 years. And most of the people in this room won't even get to live 80 years. And then we have eternity to live for, and we are so consumed with ourselves, we're so consumed of the opinions of our peers, and we want a life of ease and not hardship. And let me tell you, ease is the enemy of progress, and hardship is its friend. We need to be led by the Spirit, and I'm telling you guys, the Spirit will lead us into problems earthly, material hardships. He will. 
we think of this prosperity, not just the prosperity gospel word of faith. We have this natural fleshly idea that when we are being blessed by God, when we're being led by the Spirit, we have all of our bills paid, we have all the food in the kitchen, we have uh, our children are all healthy and blessed and all these different things. That's our perspective and that is as prosperity gospelish as any other message. I mean, how do you think the Apostle Paul would have thought of a gospel message like that? when he was sitting in prison, hungry and cold, on cement floors, without a blanket. It's like, you know, I think I messed this one up. I wasn't being led by the Holy Spirit here, surely. No, he was. That was exactly where the Holy Spirit wanted him. So he told his friends, it's like, guys, I already know this. You're not telling me, I I believe you. I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to you. He also spoke to me, and he's confirmed the same things. The chains await me everywhere I go. We need to have this perspective, ladies and gentlemen, as we head into a future where the Antichrist is being exalted and he will persecute the church. That's the encouragement we need to be reminded of. We need to have an eternal perspective. That's the point. That's the point. Do you guys remember when the Assyrian king and the Assyrian army kept try- they were at war with the nation of Israel in 2 Kings? You remember this? And Elisha, the prophet, would speak to the nation of Israel, to its leadership. He would speak and say, this is what they're going to do. This is how they're going to attack. This is where they're going to come from. To the point where the Assyrian king said, there's a spy in our camp. There's a spy in the Assyrian leadership, in the Assyrian army. Find him. And and the people... Uh, uh, the the counselors of the Assyrian king, they come to him and like, please, king, don't kill us. There's no spy. We are all loyal to you. It is a prophet in the nation of Israel. His name is Elisha. And he even knows what you're saying to your wife at nighttime when you're in bed with her. (laughs) That's what it says. He knows the words you say at bedtime. That's what the Bible says. That's freaky. And he's like, well, go, go bring me this prophet. And so the Assyrian army comes in around the house of Elijah and the servants. Can you guys imagine seeing hundreds of thousands, Assyrian army, mighty warriors, strong men come and surround you. And the servant of Elijah comes in. It's like the Assyrian army's here. He's sleeping. He basically is... Rolling over, he's like, Lord, let us see what's really going on. Let us see what's really happening. And what did they see? The armies of God, the angels surrounding the Assyrian army. Why? Because Elisha had an eternal perspective. He had a godly perspective. He had a spiritual perspective because of the Holy Spirit. He didn't see an army of Assyrians ready to destroy him. He saw the armies of God willing and ready to do exactly what the Spirit told them to do. Exactly what God told them to do. And we need to have that same perspective, especially heading into the persecuted world that we're in. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So God created a perfect world without decay, without any type of um, uh, 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 work that needed to be done to the degree that we do it today. Thorns and thistles we will gather. 
uh, all these different things, and all of a sudden sin comes into this world, and boom, a shockwave, not just through Adam and Eve, but through all of creation, destroying the earth in a way, now bringing decay to all things, not just humanity. And it says here, which is a problem for hyper-Calvinists, by the way, that he who subjected it in hope subjected it willingly. God, in his sovereignty, chose to give man free will, which brought about the futility in creation that we have experienced for over 6,000 years. That's a problem when you consider, oh, it was the will of God that Adam and Eve sinned against him. No, not willingly, but sovereignly still able to, 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 to bring about hope of redemption for mankind. And all of this creation is waiting for it to be completed. Because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into its glorious liberty of the children of God. Creation itself, however mysterious this may sound to us, is waiting to be restored to the sons of God. No doubt the new heavens and the new earth. For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So, once again, men mentioning the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit in us says to us, this isn't it. There is going to be a consummation of your adoption, a fulfillment, a final end to what God started. And the first fruits of that is the Holy Spirit that has been given to us upon salvation. So yes, we're adopted, as it mentioned in this chapter, and we already sensed that adoption, but there's going to be a consummation of that adoption, a fulfillment that is yet to be happening in the future. But we have assurance of that because the Holy Spirit is in us. I have seen people dying who have not been born again. And probably many of you have. There was a family member of ours, Kelsey and I's, and we were extremely worried about whether or not she was going to be in heaven with the Lord or separated from his love. We took shifts. We took shifts reading the Bible to her because we wanted her to just hear the word of God and the power of God's word. She would be saved and repent. I, that was the plan. She only had a few weeks to live. I remember I went in and read, I was reading the Gospel of John. She appeared to be asleep, asleep, and I found out she was only faking being asleep because she didn't want to acknowledge that I was reading the Bible, and maybe if I thought she was asleep, I would leave. And as the Bible, chapter after chapter, just kept going, she, she, she started screaming, stop it. Stop! In almost a demonic way. She didn't want to hear it. Very strange thing. But then we've seen different people. Even also in our family, Kelsey's grandmother, who could have gone through a lot more treatment, maybe had a couple more years added to her life, and she's just like, no, I'm ready to go. I don't want to go through any more medical treatment. Just let me go be with the Lord. I've suffered enough. I, what would give a woman like that such confidence? What would give somebody like that such peace 
that she was not dying into something that was terrible, like eternal separation or some sort of blackness, but rather she was going to be with her Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit of God in her doing exactly what Romans 8 is telling us it will do to us is giving us assurance of the adoption. Not only is creation groaning for what will happen in the future, but we have the first fruits of the Spirit, which is doing exactly what creation is waiting for. It is assuring us of an eternal hope and an eternal destination in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible's telling us. And and listen, guys, this is only for believers. This is for those who Jesus Christ is their Lord. You should be very afraid if you're not born again. But even in the troubles of my life, even in the sins, even in the failures of my life, Even when I sin against God in such a heinous way in my heart, whatever it may be, the Holy Spirit is reassuring me that I still belong to Him. This is the kind of God that we serve. There's no other God like this God. Now, certainly we know that to be true. Technically, yes, there's only one God. All other are false gods. But consider the message of false gods. Consider the message of the Muslim who just is like, Allah's merciful. Are you going to go to paradise? I don't know. I just, he's merciful. They can't say that they're going to go because they don't believe in grace. They don't believe in the cross. They believe that they must do good. And, and there's always doubt in that false doctrine that we must earn our way to salvation. There's always an insecurity in that. But we are secure in Christ and the Holy Spirit doesn't just say one day, you know, you're secure and just believe it and never. He secures us day by day. He is the first fruits and the constant comfort and reminder that we belong to God and that we have an eternal salvation. That's good news. He's the first fruit. He's the down payment of this assurance. You know, we make fun of women, don't we, guys, when, when they're constantly asking us if we love them? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, we've been married 13 years, Kelsey and I. We, our, our anniversary, I know, it's June 19th. I just don't know what today is. It's the 18th. Our, our anniversary is tomorrow. 13 years. Just the other day, she's like... Do you still love me? It's like, yeah, I love you. She goes, but do you like me? After 13 years of life. Oh my gosh. You know, we get this idea, guys, and this is the wrong idea. It's like, I told you I love you the day I married you, and if it changes, I'll let you know. We can't say that kind of stuff to our wives. We make fun of them, guys. We make fun of these ladies. We shouldn't. Because we are the same way when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We can become so insecure at times. It's like, oh. I'm not saying we go up to God like, like, do you still love me? It's like, hey, am I still secure? I've been messing up a lot lately. I've been impatient, prideful, and arrogant. And Holy Spirit, in His infinite mercy and grace because he has the same grace and mercy that the father and the son has reassures us he's the first fruits reminding us that we belong to him and we have an eternal hope the same kind of eager expectation that creation has is the same kind of eager expectation that we need to have let's not allow the rocks to have a greater confidence and expectation for the future than we have. Do you remember when in Luke 19, in the tearful entry, when uh, the Pharisees tell uh, Jesus, tell your disciples to stop worshiping you. 
Jesus is like, hey, I tell you the truth. If they don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. Creation eagerly awaits and expects and knows exactly what's going to happen. Guys, we know what's going to happen. And these corrupt politicians will not succeed. These governments of the world, they're not going to win. What a joy it's going to see to, to, to watch Ruto bow his knee to Jesus Christ because it doesn't look like he does it today, does it? Now, now, maybe he does, guys. I don't know. I'm not into a lot of the politics here. But when Moy was trying to silence pastors during his tyrannical reign, you know what? Those pastors get to see Moy bow to Jesus Christ. I think of my own country. I cannot wait to see Nancy Pelosi bowing to Jesus Christ. It's going to be like the best day of my life to watch Kamala Harris bow her knee to Jesus. You think about these people, Putin and and, and Hitler and and Stalin and Mussolini, all these guys. We're going to watch them. We tried to tell you, man. We we tried to tell you. We we Christians, we shared the gospel with you. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's another sermon for another day. Listen, guys. The Holy Spirit has his work. And we must commune with the Holy Spirit every single day. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons and daughters of God. Are you making decisions based on what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do? I can guarantee you that the Holy Spirit is a bigger troublemaker than you think. University students, the Holy Spirit wants you to raise your hand in class and say, you know what, professor? You say there's no God. Sounds to me like you're an atheist. But there is a God and his name is Jesus Christ and he came into this world 2,000 years ago and he died for your sins on the cross and he would not appreciate you not acknowledging who he is. Has the Holy Spirit ever told you to say that? In your university? I don't even care if you're in a Christian school. You ever go over to some of your friends and be like, you know what? The Holy Spirit is telling me that you shouldn't be listening to that music because it violates womanhood. And it is degrading when it's talking about using women as a sexual object rather than being treasured and loved by God who loves them. Has the Holy Spirit ever caused some trouble in your life? Because if you're listening to him, he will. He will. Has the Holy Spirit ever told you to go to a false pastor or a false prophet or a false apostle here in Kenya and say, you are preaching a false message and you ought to repent? You know, I've told this story so many times, it always comes to my mind, but years ago at this conference that I was invited to in this town, at this church somewhere, over on the west side of town, And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I showed up. It was a lady preaching out of Deliverance Church. She told the congregation that they needed to buy her pastor a gold watch and a Prado so that he could represent Jesus Christ and their church properly. She told that congregation that if they didn't have 10,000 shillings in their bank account, that they were a disgrace to Jesus Christ. Kenyan, my Kenyans, can you imagine that? You've been to some of these churches. And listen, there's people here who haven't heard the story. I was the next speaker. 
It was just me and Joseph. We were outnumbered at least 200 to 2. And if you guys think for one second, if you think for one second that there was not fear inside of my mind and heart, you're wrong. I started negotiating with the Holy Spirit. It's like, nah, I bet you there's a more tactful way I could say this. It's like, no, I want you, I, I want you to, to turn to 1 Timothy 6. Forget about your message. Turn there. Now, this is what I want you to say. It's like, oh my gosh. It's like, um, I'll say it if she leaves the room. I'll say it if the pastor and her walk out, you know, when they're gone. Start negotiating with the Spirit of God in me. Has anybody, do you guys, can you relate to any, can anybody relate to this? I was nervous, man. I was afraid. I was fearful. But I know if I don't obey the Holy Spirit, I'm going to regret it. And the, and the Lord gave me what to say and I said it. And I've never been invited ever since. I said things that made Joseph sink down in his seat. I watched him do it, church. It's like if this, if this was the person standing in front of him, this is what Joseph looked like. It's like, really, Joseph? Really? I'm kind of kidding. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is going to lead you. Just go find trouble. But if you obey the voice of God in you, the Holy Spirit, you will find yourself saying things that you would not say normally. If your flesh is never tormented, you are not following the Holy Spirit. If your flesh never screams out within you to stop it, don't say that, you're not obeying the Holy Spirit. We need a greater communion with the Holy Spirit in our churches and in our personal walks with the Lord. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your blessings upon this service. And I pray once again, Holy Spirit, that your voice would become greater in our lives and that we would have, through the power of your reminding us about this eternal perspective. I do pray that you would give that to us. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.